Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 60 of 211's Baseball Talk. If you're listening on Anchor, that was Body by Loud Luxury and Brando leading you into this episode. Yes, that's right. We're at 60 episodes. We hit 50 quite a while ago, if I uh, look back here on our episode count. Episode 50 was April 2nd. We did have the time off between uh, between May 21st, or between June 11th, pardon me, and July 23rd. Uh, but yes, we're at 60 episodes. We thank you for all the support throughout this uh, exciting ride, and uh, we continue to give you coverage of this year's baseball, and uh, it's been an exciting season so far, and you know, Buck Martinez, he says he hates it, uh, but it's a sprint, not a marathon this year, and it's been kind of what everyone's used to describe this 60-game season. It's been quite wild, and we've seen some some teams that probably shouldn't be where they are in playoff positions, including the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles. We'll uh, dive into to a little bit more of a real or for show, see if anything has changed since last week. Uh, we'll talk about the Blue Jays' last six games since our previous episode on uh, Thursday, August Sixth, if my math is correct, I sure hope it is. And uh, we will also talk about the Houston Astros, the suspension to their hitting coach, Alex Cintrone, uh, Ramon Laureano, and the reduction to the Joe Kelly suspension. Let's get her going. The Blue Jays started off last uh, the past week with no podcast in Atlanta for the finale of that series, the rubber match of that, uh, that set. And uh, you know what? It was, it was an okay game against the Braves in that final one. Nate Pearson didn't look fantastic. Um, in that walk-off loss to Atlanta, he he wasn't the Nate Pearson that we're used to seeing, um, and that was that was a little bit surprising. And we'll talk all about Nate Pearson and his recent struggles, shall we say, uh, a, a little bit later. But he he threw five innings, allowed three runs, all of them earned, and the bullpen came in with solid. Dolis, Cole, Romano uh, looked really good, and then Wilmer Font came in to close things out. Wilmer Font. I don't quite understand the idea of him pitching in high leverage situations. Wilmer Font is a guy who last season began the year pitching in high leverage situations. And as soon as he came to the Blue Jays, and as soon as they took him out of that role, he flourished. He flourished as an opener for this team. And he did not flourish coming out of the bullpen in the middle of games. The the bottom line is Wilmer Font is not effective as a starting pitcher. He cannot go multiple innings or more than more than two innings, shall we say. He can't go, he can't pitch it deep into ball games. So he can't be a starting pitcher. Wilmer Font is equally ineffective coming out of the bullpen. He struggles a lot to to find his command and he's given up a lot of a lot of big hits in key spots for the Blue Jays. Um I mean, he allowed the walk-off home run in that game. He he struggled quite a bit uh, in, in tough situations for this team. Font has been disappointing, and I don't want the Jays to have to use the opener as much as they did last year uh, because, you know, it, it's it's not my favorite thing to see, to see an opener used. Um, but Wilmer Font either needs to figure things out coming out of the bullpen, they need to find a different role for him, because really last season, I, I mentioned it earlier, the only spot where he excelled for the Blue Jays was in that opener role. And ever since they've transitioned him out of that, he struggled, and I got, it was funny, uh, that that game, 3-3 um, three, three tie, bottom of the ninth, I get a text from, uh, from somebody on Instagram, I got a DM, and he says, uh, switching over to the Leafs game now, not about to watch Wilmer Font give up the walk-off hit. I chuckled, thinking, okay, he's just being ridiculous. Wilmer Font won't give up the walk-off hit. I go on Twitter, and there's a tweet that says, Wilmer Font giving up the walk-off hit in three, two, 
one. I'm like, listen, I know he's been, I know he's struggled this year, but he's not going to give up a walk-off hit every time he comes out. And then sure enough, I think it was the first, the first batter or second batter. Sorry. It was over a third of an inning that he pitched in, in, in that, in that game. Um, the second batter of that inning, Wilmer Fonnell has a walk-off home run to Nick Marcakis against the Braves. And I was just, I was, I was in shock. I was like, how has he become so reliably awful? Like everyone knows that Wilmer Font is going to come in and lose the Blue Jays a baseball game. And that's crazy to me because Wilmer Font, to me, seems like, you know, he should, he has the, all the makings of an effective reliever. He's got a high, a high below fastball. He's got good off speed stuff, but for whatever reason, he just can't figure it out in high leverage spots. And I don't think he should be pitching in there. And listen, a, a, a very new team with the Blue Jays this year than what we saw last year. A lot of roster turn, turnover. New starting pitchers, Tanner Roark, Chase Anderson, Nate Pearson's in the big leagues. Hyunjin Ryu is with the team now. Really, the only two guys in that rotation that were there last season were uh, Trent Thornton and uh, Matt Shoemaker, who who went down with an injury, right? So they're Trent Thornton, Matt Shoemaker, the only two guys that were in the rotation last season to start the year that are in it again this season in the bullpen. That's no different. I mean, Anthony K is now a reliever uh, and he's pitched wonderfully. Ryan Baraki's in the bullpen. Jacob Wagaspak is in the bullpen. Thomas Hatch is in the bullpen. Uh, Jordan Romano's now a full-time high leverage reliever. Rafael Delis, Anthony Bass, AJ Cole, all these guys are now blue Jays. And it's a, it's a feeling out process for Charlie Montoyo. And, and a lot of people have been very quick to criticize Charlie Montoyo. And they say, you know what? Why is he throwing Wilmer Font in here? Why is Dolis coming in here? Why is Yamaguchi coming in here? While I don't disagree that Shun Yamaguchi should not be coming in late in innings, and where I think I was a little bit quick to jump the gun in previous episodes, is Charlie Montoyo still learning these guys? And Shun Yamaguchi closed quite a few games in Japan last season. So in theory, you throw Yamaguchi in the 10th inning, you should be okay. Apparently, that's not how things worked out for the Blue Jays. Um, you would think, you know, Wilmer Font, he's got a high velo fastball and good off-speed stuff. You would expect Wilmer Font to be, you know, a good, a good middle-inning or late-inning reliever. He's not. And so Charlie Montoyo has had to learn these things, as have we. And I feel that fans are very quick to dismiss Charlie Montoyo to say that he has made terrible, terrible mistakes. And some of the things he's done, some of the moves he's made are quite questionable. Joe Panic, DHing. Joe Panic is a guy who has been around for a long time in the big leagues. He's been around, I think, since 2012 with the Giants. He has not been able to hit in any of his big league seasons. I don't understand why he was DHing in that game that he was uh, and why Rowdy Telez was not DHing in that game. Rowdy's had a tough start to the year. Uh, I, I don't have a stats line in front of me here. But he's had a he's had a bit of a rough start this season. Rowdy's hitting 200 uh, on the year. He's got a, a bunch of strikeouts. He's he's got seven strikeouts. Um, he's only got a few home runs. Not the guy that people were expecting to see coming out of summer camp uh, in Rowdy Telez. But at the same time, here he should still be getting that DH spot. If you're not going to put Rowdy in a DH spot, you can put Vladdy Guerrero in that DH spot. You can put Travis Shaw in that DH spot and panic in the field because Joe panic is fantastic with his glove. But if he's a DH, that might be the most ridiculous spot for him because he 
can't hit like a DH should be able to. A DH is a guy with a big bat that you know can come in and get you and get you runs on the board with one swing of the bat. And that is Travis Shaw. That is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, that is Bo Bichette, if you wanted to. Kevin Biggio. All these guys can hit the long ball and can drive in runs. Joe Panic has not proved that he can do that. Um, he's a guy that you stick at the bottom of your order, and if you need him to bunt, he bunts. That's who Joe Panic is. He's not he's not a good a good hitter per se. Uh, if I look at batting average, and I know, I know, batting average is the worst stat to use. It's terrible, 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 terrible. And while I agree, Joe Panic is only hitting 136 this season. Uh, if I look at his batting average on balls in play, his BABIP. Joe Panic is higher up than what he is, but he's only batting 214 on balls that he puts in play. So his BABIP is low. If I look at his strikeout percentage, I'm going to try to find it here because I don't have it directly in front of me. Um, we'll look at his quality at bat percentage, for example. Joe Panic's quality at bat percentage is uh, is third lowest on the team, only ahead of Santiago Espinal, who's not even on the roster right now. And Reese McGuire, who's only played five games. So Joe Panic's quality at bat percentage is lower, is the second lowest on the team on the active roster. And uh, it's been it's 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 a guy that you don't expect to be your DH because you think you have bigger bats, and you do if you're the Blue Jays. You got power in this lineup. Now the the lineup has struggled. The team has struggled with runners in scoring position. Um, they've struggled to to get guys on base. It's it's been frustrating to 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 watch them play at times. The the batting average runner in scoring position for this team is 208. I'm not sure what league average is for runners in scoring position for batting average runners in scoring position, but it's not 208. I'll tell you that much. Um Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio are both hitting 333 with runners in scoring position. The next highest is Travis Shaw, who's hitting 250 with runners in scoring position. So a big gap there. The team, for whatever reason, is the king, the, the, the best team in baseball at hitting the solo home run. They cannot, they cannot drive in runs. And last night against the Miami Marlins, it was that uh, 14-11 game. And the Jays were down 8 nothing. And last night, I saw a different team, a different Blue Jays team. Yes, yes, they did leave guys in scoring position. I will pull up the, the the exact stat here on how many they uh, they left in, uh, on base, but it wasn't it wasn't too too pretty for the Blue Jays. Um, but they were putting together quality at bats. Now I'm a big quality at bat guy. I think the quality at bats are important. The Jays left ten runners on base last night. That's nothing spectacular, but they are putting together good at bats. Bobachet had five hits last night. Five hits for Bobachet last night. He looked fantastic. This Blue Jays team was looking like a team that can drive in runs again. And they left 10 guys on base, sure. But a lot of the time, they were able to hit the two-run home run, the three-run home run that they needed in those big spots. Travis Shaw had three driven in. Teoscar Hernandez had two. Bo Bichette had one. Vlad Jr. had one. Uh, Rowdy Telez had two. Danny Jansen had two. All these guys were hitting with guys on base. And... That was huge for the Blue Jays. If they, they can take that approach that they had in that last game against the Marlins and consistently have that same approach to the plate, they'll be successful. Nate Pearson struggled in that start. He allowed seven runs, only four of them earned. Granted, I will I will give you I will give him that. But he 
he was not good. He was not a good pitcher in yesterday's game. He only threw 51% strikes in his outing. Um, it was not it was not ideal for the Jays, I'm sure. Um, but the offense was there to pick him up, and that's what you would expect of this Blue Jays team. Maybe their pitching is not spectacular all the time. I mean, you've got guys like Tanner Roark, who's a journeyman, Chase Anderson, who's a journeyman. Um, these kind of guys, Matt Shoemaker, who is a journeyman in their rotation. The big front of the front of the rotation guys are Hyunjin Ryu and Nate Pearson. You expect them to have solid outings every time they go out. Last night was not solid for Nate Pearson, but the offense was there to pick him up. And the Jays have so much talent offensively that they can afford to have their pitchers, or you would think that they'd be able to afford to have their pitchers give up a certain number of runs in a game on whatever whatever occasion it may be. But they 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 haven't shown that offensive prowess so far, and they've got the pieces. Like the Jays have, you look at their lineup last night: Kevin Biggio, Bobachet, Travis Shaw, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Vlad Guerrero Jr., Randall Grichik, Rowdy Telez. All of those guys can hit home runs. Danny Jansen, the number nine hitter, he hit a home run last night. They've got a great lineup on paper. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's what they're being fed by the hitting coach. I don't know it, what the issue is. The offense hasn't been there. And last night it was. If the Jays can, like I said, take that approach that they had last night against the Marlins pitching. Obviously, you're not going to be able to be successful against every team because not every team is the Miami Marlins with pitching that is subpar. They're playing Tampa Bay in their next series. Tampa Bay's got great pitching. So they're going to have to... They're, they're likely not going to score 11 runs against Tampa Bay unless they have a really bad game. But just putting together the at-bats that they were last night and putting the good the, the, the good wood on the ball every time that they step up to the plate. And that's a stat that I would like to look at for Joe Panic, for example. Uh, his hard-hit ball percentage, Joe Panic, is, is certainly not, not the highest. But anyway, the Jays were putting good swings on baseballs. They... They were uh, they were looking really really good last night, and I don't have hard hit ball percentage here, but I've got you know the totals of hard hit balls this season. Joe Panic's only at seven hard hit balls this year, so so he's not he's not a DH. But if the Jays can put good wood on the ball, if they can string together quality at bats, they're going to have success, and hopefully they're able to continue this approach because now they've got a really tough stretch where they play twenty eight games in twenty seven days over the next twenty seven days, and there's no off day. Until I was looking at it this morning, um, I believe until the second week of September right now. And we're in mid-August. The Jays don't have an off day until Thursday, September 10th, uh, right after a series against the Yankees and before a series against the Mets. So that's a long time playing baseball games every single day. And of course, I believe it's next Thursday on uh, August the 20th, they play a doubleheader against the Phillies in Buffalo. So there's going to be a lot of baseball in the next few weeks. And if the Jays, if a team struggles at the plate in a stretch like this, the struggles will only continue. And that's scary because let's say the Jays get off to a bad start and have a brutal series against Tampa Bay. Odds are, that's going to last a good 10 games with no off day, no off day to fine tune things and to, you know, go into the batting cages 
with Guillermo Martinez, with Dante Bichette, and look at your swing um, and switch things up where where you need to. So hopefully, whatever that was last night from the pitching does not repeat itself, but the offense does. The offense, if they can string that approach together for 60% of their games, the Jays will be successful, and uh, and hopefully they can make the playoffs this season because, yes, they're 6-9. and nine. It's been a tough start, but they go on one hot streak. Like, let's say they 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 go on a hot streak over these next 20, 27 days. All of a sudden, they're right back in this thing. All of a sudden, they look like a playoff team with the expanded playoffs this year. So it's not a stretch to say the Jays still have a shot at making the postseason, and uh, we certainly hope that they will because, they, like I said, like I've consistently said, they've got the pieces. They just need to put it all together. Moving on. Uh, this weekend in Houston, the uh, Astros and Athletics were facing off. No, they were in Oakland, pardon me. This weekend in Oakland, the Astros and Athletics were facing off. And uh, Ramon Laureano of Oakland was hit by a pitch three times in that series. Now, a frustrated Ramon Laureano, uh, after being hit for the third time, was telling the Astros pitcher how to throw his slider. Uh, he was showing, you know, how to how to get it to break and how to snap it. And obviously, insulting if you're a pitcher, <laughs> I'm sure. Um but I can understand where Loriano is coming from because you never want to get hit by a pitch as a hitter. And there is really no good spot to be hit. Obviously, if you can, you take it in the back, you take it in your, in your rear end. But there is no good spot to be hit by a 90 mile an hour fastball or even a 90 mile an hour slider because that's how hard people are throwing their sliders now, especially late inning relievers. So I get where Loriano is coming from there. Not a great move. Anyway, he gets to first base. And all of a sudden, Alex Centrone, the hitting coach of the Houston Astros, starts barking at him from the dugout. And originally, Loriano was just shrugging it off, you know, matching him expletive for expletive. And then apparently, Alex Centrone, the Houston Astros hitting coach, said something about Loriano's mother. And Ramon took exception to this, ran at the dugout, ready to take on the whole team in Amir Garrett fashion. Uh, there were Houston Astros that protected their hitting coach, understandably. Um, and then a full brawl broke out. Now, obviously, with a brawl, you would expect a suspension for Loriano because the MLB strictly said at the beginning of all of this, at the beginning of the season, before anything got started, they said, no brawls. We don't want these brawls taking place because they don't want these players in close proximity or that close, uh, you know, throwing punches or yelling at each other and, and and having their droplets go all over one another. And then after the outbreaks on the Cardinals and the Marlins, that was magnified. The Major League Baseball started to tolerate it even less than what they were already. And they expected that umpires would enforce these things, they enforce their rules, and that coaches would lead by example and enforce these rules. Alex Centrone did the opposite. Alex Centrone knew that he was going to aggravate Ramon Laureano. This guy starts yelling at a player who is already frustrated for, and Centrone's the, the hitting coach for a team that, that everyone hates already. So not a great start. Loriano's upset because he doesn't like the Astros. The Astros traded him, by the way. He was drafted by Houston, got traded by Houston, and now the sign-stealing scheme comes out. Mike Fire is still pitches for the Oakland A's. He's, he's trying to, you know, he's gonna, he knows he's going to have to defend his guy because Fire is the one who outed that sign-stealing scheme. Nobody likes Houston already. 
And then Alex Cintron goes out there and starts chirping Ramon Laureano after he got hit by a pitch. And he's the reason this brawl broke out. He did not enforce the protocols that Major League Baseball had put in place. He could have caused an outbreak right then and there for the Houston Astros or the Oakland A's. Alex Cintrone, that might have been the worst lead-by-example situation I'd ever seen because Cintrone is supposed to show his guys what is right, what is not right. He's a coach. He's a coach. He's older than these players. He's supposed to provide them with guidance. He's supposed to show them what they need to do to get better, both on and off the field. And what does this guy do? This coach, this coach starts barking at a player. So Cintrone... Obviously going to get suspended, as was Ramon Laureano. And, and for a second, I was doubting that Cintron was actually going to get a suspension because it is Major League Baseball under Rob Manfred. Nothing's guaranteed. Uh, the suspension was announced. Ramon Laureano got five games and Alex Cintron got 20 games, which is the right suspension in my mind. Laureano, you know what? Five games. I agree with. Uh, he shouldn't have charged at the dugout. And I think Amir Garrett got six or seven last year. So uh, I get I get the decision to to boot Loriano for five games. It's a 12th of the season, but I, I don't think he's going to appeal that. He should just accept it. It's it's not a, it's not that big of a deal. Alex Centrone getting 20 games. Boy, I could not agree more with that move from, from Rob Manfred. And yes, I just said that I could not agree more with a move from Rob Manfred. That's how, that's how much I think Centrone deserved that suspension because Major League Baseball, like I said earlier, expected umpires and coaches to enforce these things and to 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 show their players what they should and shouldn't do. Because yes, all these guys are adults. I understand that. It's not Little League Baseball where the coach is, you know, the 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 idol of the of the player. They 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 follow blindly in what the coach does. But at the same time, Cintron is more experienced than than Alex Bregman per se, who's still a young player. He's supposed to be there to enforce these things and to lead them on the right path, I guess, as cliche as it may sound. And he didn't. Major League Baseball, obviously very frustrated. It's been in 20 games. I could not agree more. And so Loriano gets gets five games for charging at the bench. Joe Kelly, of course, appealing his eight-game suspension, got it reduced to five. And I think maybe, maybe Major League Baseball was going to, you know, release what they decided on the weekend until they saw Loriano charged at the bench of the Houston Astros. And they felt like an easy way to do this or the, the, the more difficult way to do this, I guess would be to, to release it on the weekend, say six games. And then Kelly's like, well, Loriano only got five. I'm going to appeal this again and have it reduced to five. So they just reduced it to five, five games. You know what, for what Joe Kelly did, he didn't really do too much. It was the Astros that started charging out of the dugout. He just, you know, taunted them, which is part of baseball now, I guess. Players taunting players, not coaches taunting players, Alex Cintron, but players taunting players. Five games, it's it's okay. It's much better than eight. I'll tell you that much. So Kelly can just serve the suspension. He's a reliever. And this is the thing. If it was eight games for a starter, that's one, maybe two starts, depending on when that suspension begins. He's a reliever. He's a high leverage reliever for the LA Dodgers. So this guy in an eight-game span works... Usually, if the if the Dodgers win all eight games or are winning in all eight games, he'll he'll work four to six of those eight games with days off in between, depending on off days and stuff like that. So to suspend Joe Kelly eight games was was ridiculous to me. But five games is much more reasonable. I agree with that move to reduce it to five. I think that 
maybe three would have been better, but I'm not going to complain because it's not eight anymore. Uh, so, so suspensions were a theme this week. The Blue Jays lackluster pitching in the last game and, and lack of offense has been a storyline this week as well. Nate Pearson needs to figure things out a little bit. Uh, you know, he allowed three earned runs in his, in his last or two starts ago in Atlanta and then allowed, uh, then allowed seven runs for them earned in uh, the loss to Miami last night. They need to figure things out there. There's so much figuring out that needs to be done. Rob Manford needs to figure out how to punish Houston without punishing Houston, because obviously the players union fought for no suspensions for the players. This has been episode 60 of 211's Baseball Talk. We thank you all very much for joining uh, this episode. We do hope you enjoy, and we will see you all next week.